Welcome to Chit Chatter with Rhea, the podcast that provides information to you about the legal and political process. Now here's your host, Rhea Chattergoon. Welcome back to the show. Uh, On today's show, I am having a discussion with my very good friend, Hillary Cassell. She's a state representative um, in Florida. It's her freshman year in um, the House, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about her insight of what it's like to be in the process, um, especially being someone who hasn't done it before. Hillary and I became friends uh, when our sons were in preschool together. Uh, They were two years old at the time. They're seven now. And uh, during COVID, we formed a pod and hired a teacher, and Hillary graciously um, allowed the pod to be hosted at her house, which is a great undertaking to have three four-year-olds running around your house on a daily basis and just people in and out of your house every day. And so we are very, very grateful for her for having volunteered to do that. Um, But a little bit about Hillary. She is a lawyer. Um, She has her firm with her husband, Michael Cassell, who is equally as great um, and is also a good friend. Um, But Hillary's firm practices in the area of first property Um, law and they help homeowners in um, Florida, you know, resolve their claims. I'll put it that way. But Hillary's going to give us some insight into what it's like to be a freshman representative, kind of what she's seeing. And we're going to talk about some of these bills that are being introduced um, this session. She's in the middle of session. Uh, She was actually supposed to be my first guest on the podcast and uh, we, we just couldn't get our schedules right. But I do hope you enjoyed this interview. What I do love about Hillary is that she is willing to read and educate herself. Um, she's willing to hear another perspective. She's willing to tell another perspective. Um, and what we've seen in the past couple of weeks and in the last December session is that she's not afraid to speak out. And, and she understands that she's there to do a job for her district and for the citizens of Florida. And I know I'm biased, right? I I get it. I'm biased. I'm loyal to my friends. I think my friends are just the bee's knees. But I do think Hillary is the kind of politician that we want and that we need in our government, whether it be state or federal. So I do hope you enjoy this interview. Please follow, subscribe. Also follow Hillary on her social media. She does um, give you some good information on her social media so you see what's happening in uh, Tallahassee and it's a good way to be informed. Welcome to the show, State Representative Hillary Cassell. All right, guys. So I, I told you before Hillary and I are friends, so this conversation may go off the rails just because we talk like this in her backyard all the time. Um, but welcome, Hill. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we finally got to make this happen. Finally, finally. finally. You were supposed to be my first guest when I told you I was starting this podcast. We agreed you were going to be my first guest and then everything Life. just went off the rails. <laughs> Life. But you're in Tallahassee still today. You didn't go home this weekend. I I did not. We got off the floor on Friday afternoon at around 3.30 and it was just one of those weekends that it just sort of made sense to stay here, try to recharge a bit instead of back and forth on a plane. So I I stayed for the weekend and it was really nice. All right. Well, I'm glad I was able to catch you on a day you don't have any committee meetings. Uh, So what are you doing today? (sighs) 
Well, I am reading all of the bills that I have in preparation of my committees tomorrow, um, taking calls. I have, you know, people reaching out, wanting to have conversations about the bills, whether it be stakeholders or representatives that are sponsoring the legislation. I'm going to go to the gym because, you know, mental health is super important Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. This process doesn't allow for a lot of opportunities to exercise. So you kind of have to take advantage of it when you can. Um, but yeah, honestly, just more homework is 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 really what's on the agenda for the day. With your Florida State shirt, I may add. It, That's right. <laughs> Go no. <laughs> um, so let's back up a bit. So I remember during COVID sitting in your backyard and you said to me, I'm thinking about running for state representative. What do you Why think about you that? Stop me. Because <laughs> I knew you'd be fabulous. I knew it. And I said that to you. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember. I said that to you. I said, go for it. Because if anyone can do this, it's you. I can't do it because I am just, I don't have the 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 the, the temperament for it. Um, but you can, right? And I feel like I, I've always felt that way during your campaign you know, your victory party. I told you this. I, I just feel like this is what you're meant to do. Um, I remember a Senate position becoming open and I said, well, why don't you go for that? And you're like, okay, slow down, Rhea. Let me do <laughs> one thing at a time. <laughs> now I want you to be governor, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. So how has it been? How has it been? I've been with you through the campaign and, you know, but this is your first session in Tallahassee. Well, except for the special session that you had uh, last year, which we'll talk about but how's it been so far? Um, you know, first and foremost, I will start off by saying I absolutely love it. You know, I love the process. I love the law. I'm such a nerd. Um, you know, I constantly have questions about everything we're doing. I go down rabbit holes, which is why I'll spend an entire day reading bills, because if you're going to cite to a statute, I'm going to go read it. You right. know, if you're going to cite to a council that's being appointed or whatever it is, I'm just going to go down that rabbit hole of research because that's, that's who I am as an attorney. Um, right. And I also find that that's where you can get a lot of additional information, right? That's not in the bill that's right before you. Um, so, so putting aside politics and what it's like to be a Democrat in this, you know, super majority minority situation, I love the process. I love meeting people. I love learning about issues. Um, you know, the, the speaker was smart to not place me in a silo. That's really my wheelhouse. You know, I did not get placed on any committees related to insurance, which, as you know, is my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. I did not get placed on any committees related to the law, whether it be civil justice, criminal justice, judiciary. I've been placed in the environmental silo, in the infrastructure silo. Um, whole new world for me, but I work really hard and um, love learning it. So it's 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 exhausting. It's a lot more work than I think people have any understanding for. For those of us that do it the right way, not right. everybody works as right. hard as I do or has to work as hard as I do. Um, when you've got an R next to your name up here, um, you get to have a little bit more fun than we do. Um, Democrats have to work real hard. So, and 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 one of the things I've been trying to express to people um, because I get a lot of questions of, well, why aren't the Democrats doing anything? Why are these bills getting passed? And I don't think people really understand the supermajority 
that is happening in our state, right? They're con- the Republicans are now control the House, Senate, and they've got the governor, governorship. And so it's difficult. And and so I always talk to you about, God, that has got to feel defeating, right? Um, you didn't get placed on these silos of committees where you have the experience. We know that was purposeful. That hasn't stopped you, however, from making the comments that are necessary um, on these issues that are coming up, specifically insurance and civil justice. Uh, And so I do want to talk to you a little bit about the bills, uh, but tell the audience how you're able to communicate with some of these, what we see as right-wing Republicans up there who are pushing some of these outrageous bills and you have to see them day in and day out. You have lunch, you know, there's a lunch room where, where the representatives go, where the senators go, you see each other in Tallahassee. I mean, these are people you work with. And for example, the abortion bill, I know that's something you and I feel strongly about. These people are in your physical space. Mm-hmm. How do you interact with them on a day-to-day basis without losing, without losing it? I won't curse. (laughs) I think, I mean, listen, there's some I don't interact with. I think there are just, there are some that we, we don't maybe like each other. I mean, it's kind of that simple, right? Right. Um, There are definitely some that I do get along with, right? Um, but it's really interesting because you kind of almost don't talk politics. You know, if you're in the lunchroom, you sort of talk about what did you do over the weekend? And, and you're trying to get to know some of them and most of them on, 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 on a human level. Um, but it's really hard because we see the world philosophically very differently. Um, and at the same time, I know I have a job to do. And my job is to bring stuff back to my district. My job is to bring appropriations home. My job is to pass good bills that I fight for. So you have to have some balance because if you don't, you know, this is a punitive process. Um, If you speak too loudly, you reap the ramifications of that. So on some Mm -hmm. level, you have to provide the balance of, we just don't agree on this issue and I'm going to make my points and it's not going to be personal. You know, I try to do a good job to make sure, you know, my loud uh, comments aren't personal, but at the same time, you know, I have a job to do. And if as a result of me speaking out um, results in, that sort of punitive nature of this process, it just is what it is. And when you say, when you say punitive nature of the process, um, explain a little bit of what that means. It means that your bills may not get support, right? Correct. Correct. Um, you know, we, we, we see what the governor does when he doesn't like people that speak out against him. I am a person that will speak out against him. Um, so at the end of the day, 
you you go through this process and you're fighting for your appropriations, right? I'm fighting for my cities to have better wastewater treatment and, and management because we know flooding is such a huge issue for our district. You know, I'm fighting for um, lift stations to help with that process in other districts. I'm fighting for the Holocaust Documentation Center to make sure that you know, the preservation of the plight of Jewish people is protected at a time where we know that, you know, they're they're subject to such hate um, with a governor who's not doing anything about it. So you're fighting for really important things that you need to be brought back to your districts, while at the same time knowing that I could do all of that and it could get to the end of the line and the governor could veto everything because I'm 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 an opponent. Um, But I can't worry about the end result. I have to do my job. You know, I was sent here by a district to fight um, and to push back on a lot of this agenda. But it is also important to highlight that there is a lot of bipartisan bills that get passed, you know, right. They're not the bills that we talk about. Um, they're not sexy. They're not going to ever make the headlines. They are trying to make better Florida better, Um, but it's the big stuff that I believe are really changing, uh, the state of Florida in not a positive way that we're just, we're just never going to agree on. So you got to find that balance. I don't know if I found that balance. I'm only in, you know, starting week three of official legislative session. So we'll, we'll find out sooner or later. (laughs) Well, well, you've made a big impact so far. Let me ask you this, because it's something people ask me all the time. The politicians, the representatives, senators putting forth some of these quote unquote sexy, just, you know, bills that, that are just there for really sound bites. Do you feel, because you're interacting with them on a day-to-day basis, do you feel that they really believe, um, that some of this is, is, is a good thing for Floridians? I don't really think that matters. Right. Because you, you know, I, if if you didn't believe it, then stand up, have a backbone, say you wow. don't support that. And and if you don't and you run it because what does that you say about are you? thinking, what's that say about you? Because you're thinking about your political future. I'm not here for my political future. I don't have a political future. I'm right. here to do a job and I'm here right. to do that job well. And if that means I do the job in a manner that gets me reelected, fantastic. If not, so be it. You know, I have to make decisions based on what's in front of me, not about my future. It's about what's best for Florida. And I think that's definitely lost in this process. I think many people on the other side are running things that they may or may not personally agree with, but that doesn't matter to me. Like you're running it. You you don't get to behind closed doors say you say don't something agree, different, right? And then testify with your representative title or senator title and and push that legislation through. I don't get I don't believe you get to hide behind that. It doesn't matter to me what your personal feelings are. If you're running it, you believe in it. It's that simple. You and I agree on that, my friend. Um talk to me a little bit on, you know, just the personal side of how much work this is. I don't think people understand how much work it's it's work to even just run a campaign, right? I mean, that was just like a job in itself. Um, But now you're doing the work, you're doing the background work of reading. We know not everyone does that. Um, But also it's work because your time away from your family, your time away from Shep, 
you know, from Michael, um, that that's gotta be hard, right? Listen, it, it is, it is absolutely hard. Um, I think you have to be a certain personality to be able to do this. And I am one of those personalities and it's not necessarily a good thing. It's just that I, you know, I am a bit of a loner. So being in in an apartment by myself working all night is like not uncommon for me. I obviously miss my kids so much and I miss my husband so much, but I think I have such a great support system, as you know, at home. I mean, Nana's, Nana's, Nana's. Oh, Nana Debbie. We love Nana Debbie. I mean, Nana is holding down the fort. Um, But I think my family, including Shep, because you know how we talk to Shep. Yeah. Shep knows what mommy's doing and Shep knows mommy's fighting. And I literally, and I'll cry, but you remember, you know, really what prompted me to run is I was reading how democracies die. Right. And I genuinely in my heart of heart believes like we're in trouble. You know, when you look at everything, you know, this governor is doing as a whole, it's terrifying. And it's I don't terrifying. think terrifying. I don't terrifying. think people have put the pieces together. We're about to put more guns on the streets. Oh. We're creating our own militia. Right. Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. Because I preach about this all day long. Like we see it coming, right? We we read the books how democracy dies. We see history repeating itself. We see some of the anti-Semitism and the racism that's not being denied. Um, he's towing that little line of he's not supporting it, but he's not coming out against it. Um, and then there are these bills that are being passed, right? Let, we'll talk about the gun bill in a minute. Cause I, I just feel extremely strong about that. And, and I'm a gun owner and I tell people all the time, I, I believe in your right to care, to own a weapon. I just don't understand why we can't be licensed to do it. Right. Um, but I do want, freedom. I've been freedom, <laughs> freedom, freedom, ah, freedom, freedom. Let's talk of, I, I, I've been wanting to get you on this uh, podcast to talk about property insurance in oh. Florida, because my homeowner friends are always texting and sending me messages on, can you explain this? And I was like, I'm not the person to explain this. All I can tell you is it's screwed up, um, but I do have the right person. She's an expert in this field. Um, you spoke out about it uh, in, in session and uh, in the last session, the special session. Um, and I was, of course, like I had to pause and like chair and, and, you know, come back to it. But of course, I'm very, very biased, right? Because <laughs> you're my friend and I love you. But tell Floridians what's happening with property insurance at this moment. Oh, well, at this moment, your premiums are not going down. Correct. You can expect at least another 30% increase in premiums. 30? At least. Holy crap. Because- um, you saw in my debate, but one of the things that I really focused on was the reinsurance component of right. the legislation that passed. So, you know, to really not overcomplicate things, right, it's really simple. Property insurance, what you have is a contract, what's called a first party contract between you and your insurance company, meaning if any, it, if they make certain promises to you in exchange for those promises, you make a payment. You have no negotiation power in the terms that it's called a contract of adhesion. It is sent to you, delivered to you, and you are just expected to pay it. So as a result of that, you have an imbalance in the playing fields. 
you have an insurance industry, insurance companies that write it, that define it, that exclude it, that limit it, that, you know, put everything in place and you write a check to, to make sure you have it. Um, and as a result of that, we found a hundred years ago that insurance companies didn't always treat you right. Cause they had all of the ammunition, right? right? They had everything. They had all of the tools. So there was legislation that passed that said, listen, we've really got to level the playing field in these types of cases. And the level of the playing field was if you wrongfully deny or underpay a claim and the insured proves it and wins you got to pay their attorney's fees. Right. And the, sub, the story that I like to tell is a story, um, a case that I went to trial on. My client's damages were $29,000, right? The insurance company for three years fought me on a two sentence exclusion that basically said my client had the obligation to notify them of a change, right? Right. In the a change in the ownership or the occupancy. Well, for three years, we fought, we litigated. They never offered, let's just say, more than, you know, the maximum donation I'm allowed to receive, which is $1,000. Right. And as a result, we had no choice but to take this case to trial. I proved in trial that the insurance company was aware of the change a year before the loss. Right? Yeah. They had knowledge of it. They had notice of it. They had documents, but they hid those for us for three years. And I won at trial, $29,000. Now that's a case today because of the reforms I can't take. Right. I can't represent her because what they've done is they've taken away your ability to recover attorney's fees. So now that same client comes to me and says, I've got $29,000 in damages. I know I'm right. This is a valid claim. The insurance company has denied it. They've cited this two sentence exclusion. And I look at her and say, I can't fight an insurance company for three years for $10,000. Right. Because I'm only going to be entitled to 33 and a third percent of what I recover for her. But more importantly, she needed every penny of that $29,000 to fix her home, to fix her home. And she was entitled to it. She right. had paid for it. And this was a valid, legitimate claim. So now she has to reduce her claim to hire a lawyer because they deny it. And there's a book. I tell everybody about it. It's called Delay, Deny, Defend. That is their strategy. That is how they work these cases because they know if they can tire you out, if they can wear you down, you're going to take pennies on the dollar. And right. now in addition to that, you've got to pay for your own lawyer. So what incentive have we created for insurance companies to do the right thing? We and, and for people who, out there who are saying, well, the lawyers just want to make money off of these claims, right? And there's been a lot of money made off of these claims. Um, what I don't think people understand is three years fighting a claim. You're doing work. You're taking depositions. You're doing discovery because you had to find that they hid those documents. And there's a lot of work to be done in those three years that the lawyer's not getting paid for. Well, and we're paying. And you're paying. Because to file a lawsuit is almost $400. $600. Yeah. Right. $500. I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. Um, my husband takes care of that. <laughs> um, you know, to take a deposition costs money, to order the transcript costs money, to pay experts costs money, all, right. all of those things. And what people also don't realize is insurance companies 
when they pay their lawyers, they pay them monthly, right? Mm -hmm. And those, the, the money they spend on attorneys, actually you pay for as the consumer. Consumer. While you that pay your premiums. part of their rate request. When they say we spent a million dollars on attorney's fees to deny your claim and delay your claim, they actually get to charge you back for it. So they right. have no incentive to settle your case early because they get that money back in your premium raise, in your right. premium increase. And, and I will say this, there was definitely a lot of litigation abuse. I always think it takes two to tango, right? Absolutely. And I do believe there was a concerted effort by the insurance industry to create this boogeyman because this is their wish list. What they got delivered to them through the December property insurance special session and then what's about to pass in the tort reform. When you ask an insurance industry, what is their wish list? It is everything. It is mm -hmm. every tool David had to fight them, you know, Goliath, the big insurance companies. Um, is now gone and there is no accountability um, or transparency in this space because we had an insurance commissioner and that's a whole nother topic. I'm well, let's down. talk about the, the insurance <laughs> commissioner because- Who resigned, one, who who resigned 24 hours after the special session, which I called, 24 hours he hand delivered their wish list, and now come to find out he has two very high paying jobs. Not only is he a non-executive for Aspen Reinsurance, making probably $200,000 a year to attend four meetings a year, wait, four meetings a year as a non-executive. And now he's a lobbyist for the Southern group. So I said, he's either going to go work for an insurance company or a lobbying firm. You did, and you did done say both. that. He's and done he both. has two jobs. And resigned the day over after. Floridians. Right, right. Because the only people who suffer here are Floridians. Yep. And I I don't think the people who are voting these people in get that. Like it's not clicking yet for them, right? Because everybody's just kind of voting down party lines, but then these bills get passed and the only people who are suffering are us, right? So one of the things There's they no sold- No cap on premium, sorry. No cap, no cap I was just getting to no that. No cap on rate increases, no real relief for Floridians. Um, and what I've said is all you've done is invited insurance companies to steal from Floridians and no one's there to be able to hold them accountable. So right. what are what business are we inviting? They say this is going to create competition. This is going to encourage insurance companies to come into the state of Florida. To do what? Right. Take my money and not be there? To abuse you know, us. Um, yeah. I will say, I think some of the good reforms, I, I've always felt that assignment of benefits um, was reforms that were necessary. And that right. was a good part of this legislation because I do think the spirit of AOBs, which was, listen, in an emergency situation, you don't have that $1,000, $3,000, $5,000 to stop the water so you don't get mold. I felt like the spirit of that had been lost because now- Explain what an AOB is, because I don't- Sure, so in case an AOB don't... is what's called an assignment of benefits. Basically, originally, they were kind of created for those emergency situations. You're a homeowner, you're living paycheck to paycheck, like 85% of Floridians, it might actually be 90% of Floridians. You, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you have an emergency, your dishwasher overflows, your, your washer breaks and the water doesn't shut off, your pipe breaks and your toilet overflows, like everyday things that happen to people. 
you would hire an emergency service company and you would be able to assign that portion of the claim to them, meaning, listen, I don't have the $3,000 or the $5,000 to pay you today, but this is covered under my insurance policy. And when the insurance company settles my claim, you will be paid by the insurance company. So that was the original spirit. What happened is assignments, and that was for work performed, for services right. rendered. Now, what happened with assignment of benefits is you started to see contractors, roofers coming in from out of state, making promises of we're going to get you new roofs, but waiting and doing the work after the insurance company paid. And they would actually take over the claim from the consumer and the consumer would be left out of it, no stake in the game, no skin in the game, um, and unaware of what was happening really on their behalf. And I felt as a consumer advocate that those were situations where people were being taken advantage of, right? That a roofer would come in and it's going to cost $30,000 to replace your roof, but they're submitting $150,000 right. estimates and you have no idea. So I felt the assignment of benefits portion, I do think it went too far because now it's completely gone. So you have that emergency situation. You've got to be able to pay up front. There are some theories that you can do a direction to pay. I will tell you that's not my world. I don't do assignment of benefits mm -hmm. cases, but you know, really, it, it's really taken out, you know, for those emergency situations. And this is sort of one of those compromise reforms that I felt were common sense, right? Where when we talk about a legislature that's too extreme and overcorrects and goes too far, this is a perfect example. We didn't need to completely get get a, we didn't completely need to get away from assignment of benefits as a whole. We needed to get rid of them when services weren't rendered and for non-emergency situations. If you've got roof damage, put right. a tarp on your roof and go through the process. Um, not assign that claim away and wait for the roofer to figure it out and and do it without you know really any oversight from the consumer. So again where we could have had some moderation, some comp some compromise that doesn't completely take away consumers' rights and needs, we we go we go completely as extreme as possible. Right, because um, now people don't have representation. And and I keep saying this, I don't on I don't think the common public understands that their access to courts and holding big business accountable is declining daily. We'll be gone. This and, and now it's going to be gone. And now it's going to be but, gone. But we're keeping one-way attorney's fees in to sue teachers. Oh, well, of course. And we're keeping one-way attorney's fees in if, if you feel as though you've been attacked online after you've said a racist or homophobic comment and you get called out for it, you get one-way attorney's fees in those situations. So we do we do believe one way attorneys fees solve certain problems, but not against big for a certain sect of people and and not big insurance companies that donate millions millions of dollars. Talk to, talk to me about that, right? Because people don't understand what lobbyists do in the political atmosphere, either in Tallahassee or in Washington. So. Can you explain to me sort of how lobbyists works or meets with um, either representatives or senators um, and how that process works? 
Sure. So lobbyists represent clients. Those clients can be ranging anywhere from nonprofits to corporations to individual associations. You know, for those of you that don't know my background before I ran for office, I founded a consumer advocacy group called Florida Policyholders Cooperative that retained a lobbyist. And that person is really like your eyes and ears in Tallahassee. Now, I was a different client because I came up every week because I was like, I will be there. <laughs> you, <laughs> you were. You will see. You will see this face and you will hear this voice, <laughs> but um, not all clients do that, but really lobbyists, you know, um, are there to represent a client and whatever, whatever legislative priorities as the terminology is used, what are your legislative priorities? Um, and, and it ranges and listen, lobbyists are a great resource when you find the ones that you trust and you find the ones that, that, you know, you know, are going to steer you in the right direction and are going to be transparent. Um, they are really a great resource. You know, one of the things that I am learning, which is, which is a very hard lesson for somebody like me to learn. Cause I'm used to being an expert, right? Right. Like, right. I'm used to coming to Tallahassee and I'm the one that they would call. We don't understand what's happening. Property insurance is really complicated. Walk us through it. And you would find you'd get 15 minutes with a legislator and you'd try to explain to them property insurance and, you know, half would be listening. The other half, like you could just see like eyes glazed over because <laughs> again, it's not sexy. Right. Um, but it's so fun and interesting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, lobbyists went. So I am learning, you know, obviously I'm in a whole new world. Like right. I'm never going to be an expert on water quality. Right. Like that is. I'm going to spend right. years trying to figure it out, but you rely on those lobbyists to help you through um, sort of those conver those conversations, or you rely on the associations, you know, to, to help provide you some insight. But I also do believe at the end of the day, it falls on me as the legislator. So that's why I, I work so hard because lobbyists are a great tool and a resource, but at the end of the day, it falls on me and I, I don't really listen to many people. Well, and you also read a lot. I mean, you're just a reader yeah. by nature. So so you want to be that expert at the end of the day because you don't want to be in those conversations where someone's asking you something and your eyes are glazed over, right? But you also took an oath to do that. You also took an oath to represent your constituents. And I know you take that to heart. I don't feel that everyone else does. <laughs> But we, we could talk about that all day long. Talk to me about this tort reform. It's uh, House Bill 837. It, it's going to affect my work. It's wow. going to affect the cases I file. I actually spent all weekend um, filing my personal injury cases uh, because I know this bill is going to pass probably this week, Wednesday, I think um, it's up. Senate on is on the floor. They will hear it this yeah. week. So, so this, talk this to me about really. This is, a, I mean, a really bad bill. I mean, again, if you look at everything in totality, and, and we talked offline a little bit, there was a bill that came before me that that I really struggled with that, you know, Democrats really take a certain position on it. Um, but because of my district, you know, it's an issue that was important and I was struggling, you know, how do I, how do I maybe not give the typical Democrat vote? Right. Um, but because I don't necessarily believe all of the hype, but at the end of the day, you know, how do I, how do I navigate, navigate that? And I, I stuck, I stuck with my party because you can't look at these bills in a vacuum, right? Like these bills, they're really, the Republicans are so good at putting in one really great thing about the bill, right? Or, right. or a really great title, parental rights, 
you know, or like, they're so good at that strategy. Um, they're great at controlling the narrative. So great at controlling the narrative. Um, because at the end of the day, like you look at the tort reform bill and there's nine things that are really awful about it. And maybe there's one good thing and they're going to run with the one good thing. And it, it, and it's interesting, like if you go to the CFO's website now where they summarize for you what happens in property insurance, it's a farce because right. they completely exclude all the tools that they took away from, from David. Mm -hmm. Everything that's in there is like, oh, we put in extra accountability measures for, for insurance companies. Well, okay, great. Now you took the time frame from them to respond from 14 down to seven, but who's, who's holding them accountable when right. they don't respond? So, so they pick and choose. Um, and that's very similar with the tort reform bill, you know? So again, I believe this is a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist, right? right. Like, and, right. and when we talk about increase in premiums, you know, one of the things that I mentioned in committee, because I got to serve ex officio on the civil justice committee, which I know they freaked out when they saw my name, like, <laughs> here she comes, here she comes. I've had a few people be like, we were like, man, how can we say no to this request? Right. But it is, um, you know, uh, when you look at these bills in totality, right? Like it, it is creating a system in the state of Florida that for Floridians is just terrible. You know, when you look at, we're going to have more guns on the street. When you look at, we are going to have our own militia here in the state of Florida. Right. We are, <laughs> when you look at inability to have access to the courts and civil and holds bad actors accountable and and creating standards and what the tort reform basically bill does is it does a couple of things but first and foremost the biggest issue of concern for me is in the negligent security or what we call premises liability right so we have social contracts here as human beings right if you invite me over to your house Rhea I expect you're going to keep me safe if right. you have a dog that bites you're going to put your dog away. Or if you have a dog that doesn't like kids and I bring my kid over, I expect you're going to put your dog away. I right. expect that you're not going to have a hole for me to fall into, right? Like there's sort of a social contract that's created amongst all of us. If you invite me to your building because it's open, I expect you to put in certain measures that are going to keep me safe. Right. Um, and you have a duty to make sure that you protect against foreseeable situations. situations right. Like not, it's hello. I don't understand right. why this isn't like- And, like, and for um, the regular person, that means if I go into Publix and there is a big puddle of water on the floor and Publix doesn't put a wet floor sign out or doesn't put, you know, put something around boundaries around the area so you can't walk. And I have no knowledge that this floor is wet and I slip and fall. You've now violated the contract, that social contract. Exactly. So- you know, this bill does a lot of things, but at the end of the day, it really denies access to the civil justice system right. for most people that are injured. Um, you know, when we talk about that, that sort of social contract that we have to protect all of us. Now, what we've done is, is in a premises liability situation, as long as you do the bare minimum, right? Like right. the bare minimum, you lights, you have a security camera, maybe you need a security guard. Like as long as you do that, you're good. You have a, you've now, we are now giving them a presumption of no liability. And you right. and I know what presumptions mean, right? Presumptions right. means that the jury 
is basically going to be told you did no wrong. And now I have to go back and I have to prove all the things that you did wrong, which is expensive when you don't have access to attorney's fees. That means right. I've got to be willing to shell that out of pocket and, and may not be able to. And the example that I gave on the floor is an example that we can, we all know about. And I refuse to say his name, but we talk about the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas situation, mm -hmm. right? And what this bill does is, is basically everybody, all of the failures that led up to that Valentine's Day shooting massacre, like all of those failures now. We're talking about the FBI. We're talking about the police being on notice. We're talking about the BSO the officer that hit. The code red. That hit, right. The, the officer that hid in the closet. We're talking about the fact that staff opened the, secu opened the security gate before school was over, right? Right. All of these, all of these failures that attributed to that day by not keeping him off campus this bill now makes makes it so he will be on your verdict form, right? There's a reason why we have a difference in a separation from criminal court and civil court, Absolutely. right? They are two different bodies for a reason. They have two different results. They have two different standards. They have two different goals and missions, right? And in, And what I said in my closing was, here we are in Tallahassee getting ready to change the death penalty structure from being unanimous down to eight to eight, because we're unhappy with the last 12 people that heard this case. We right. are, we are unsatisfied that that jury got it right. So we are going to overhaul in a state that has put more innocent people to death than any state in this country. Right. We are going to change all of that because we're unhappy. But what this bill does is says all of those failures now are one presumed no liability because they had the bare minimum in place. But in addition to that, that, that monster goes on the verdict form. Right. So when that civil jury hears who's at fault, who are they going to pick? Who are they going to pick? The obvious answer is, oh, is going to be the criminal. Right. So now these families in the next MSD, because we're putting more guns on the street, so we all should better... <laughs> Let's be, let's be real. When the next one happens, these families that sought and got some justice in the civil justice system won't have that same opportunity. So now what we are doing is we are creating a civil justice system that doesn't actually hold people to a higher standard of security, a higher standard of that social contract. I mean, there were multiple security experts that testified in both the House right. and Senate that said... You didn't speak with any of us when you asked us about what security measures actually deter crime. The Democrat, like none of what they are putting in place is the bare minimum. It is proven that they it does not deter crime. But two, the Democrats, and you talk about what can Democrats do, right? We run really smart amendments. Mm -hmm. We run amendments that they're going to have to pay for because we ran an amendment that said, wait a second. If you are a place that has knowledge and has prior within 20, you know, murders, rapes, right. burglaries, robberies, you don't get that presumption. They said no. So. Wow. They said no. So. Did they say why they dis they said no? Of course not. They, they don't right. ask. Watch. If you watch them, they don't ask questions of bill sponsors. 
They don't debate. They waive all of their time because they don't want to be on the record. So we in, when I got to serve ex officio, we put them on the board on two amendments, which is kind of unheard of in this mm -hmm. process in committees, but we're tired, right? Like you're going to have to answer. So in Florida, right, we gave motorcyclists the right to ride without a helmet. And it's a really important right that they have, a freedom that they have. And what this tort reform bill does is changes that comparative negligence. So like now everybody pays for the percentage that they are deemed at fault, right? Right. right. So you get injured in an accident. It's found that you were 30% at fault because, you know, you, you know, you looked the other way, right? whatever it is, but the other person's 70% at fault. They're going to pay 70% of the damages, right? Now we've gone to, if you are found as the plaintiff to be 51% at fault, and this again comes into the, the, the MSD situation, if mm -hmm. you are found 51% at fault, the other side is not liable for anything. At uh, all, at, at all. all. And I want people to understand that zero, zero, zero. zero. So even that 49% of damages, you know, we're talking about 49% of your hospital bills or your physical therapy or, you know, any potential surgeries you need zero, you are now going to get zero. zero. And I think that MSD example you gave was genius, by the way, it's genius because it's a better way for people to understand. I think people in Florida just think everyone sues for personal injuries and car accidents, et cetera. But when it, when it's couched in terms of MSD and how that really could affect you. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who do um, negligent security cases, you know, um, that's going to be affected as well. I mean, it, it, it's insane. It's insanity. It's insane. I mean, you look at the, um, uh, the woman in Orlando who was killed, who was kidnapped and killed by the maintenance man, that landlord that was a friend of mine. Yeah. That, that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's she, they it was her daughter they now have to do the bare minimum. So Correct. somebody who was a convicted felon, who was given a key to the apartment, all of those things now you're presumed not liable. So, so. Right. Who's held who, responsible? Who's held responsible and who is incentivized to do more? Right. Because if you then do more, you're on the hook for doing more. Whereas if you go, I did the bare minimum I was required to do. And I, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and it's, and again, what's frustrating to me as an attorney, right? Like we're the bad guys. Like we're always oh, the bad guys. Those, it's those billboard lawyers. It's right. those, and, and I'm sitting here going, you mean to tell me, and this was part of my closing and I'm going to do it now. Cause I forgot to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you mean to tell me that this legislature, right. And I say the front row, cause they don't listen to me. Right. That the front portion of the room that is filled with lawyers and on the Senate side that is filled with lawyers can't figure out how to outsmart five to 10 law firms. Right. And, and the reality is if those five to 10 law firms are so smart and those five to 10 law firms are the ones that are actually fighting for the people, fighting against big corporations, fighting to hold people accountable, fighting for justice, fighting for benefits that you have paid for, that you have fought for, that you've earned, that you're entitled to. Maybe one of those billboard, billboard lawyers should run to be our next governor because those are the people actually fighting for Floridians. Right. That was my, that was going to be my, <laughs> mic drop mo my mic drop moment on Friday and I ran out of time and I couldn't do it. So I'm glad I got to do it here, but I didn't get to watch the speech from Friday yet, but I'm going to watch it and then I'm going to rewind this and watch this part, uh, part of it. But you're right. You're right. Everyone hates lawsuits. They hate lawyers, but 
when laws are made because of the lawsuits brought, when thing when people are held accountable and things change, that's the result of it, right? That's why you and I love the law so much because it's it's constantly changing. And it, and it has to evolve as, as we create new technologies, as, 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 you know, we talk about premiums, right. In the insurance world and everything's blamed on litigation. Well, how about the fact that we have a thousand new people driving on our roads in the right. state of Florida every single day, you don't think your car insurance rates are going up as more people are on the roads. Like, right. And again, it's, it's that common sense that somehow gets lost in the capital. Like, you blame it on litigation, yet we don't talk about the other side's litigation. We don't talk about their motive for litigating. We don't talk about, you know, here we are completely in this tort reform bill changing bad faith. And bad faith is very complicated, but bad faith is for bad insurance companies. Right. Why are we making it easier for them? The, the, the gentleman, his name is Dale Swope. He's incredible. He is like the number one, you know, the number one uh, bad faith attorney in the state of Florida. And in, in, in the presentation of the tort reform bill, we were told two things. We were told we are here because of nuclear verdicts. And of course I asked how many, and I didn't get right. an answer. Of course and you're not going to we get an answer. Of course not. And then we were told we were here because we're here to trust the jury and we're going to give them all this information, but we're completely revamping bad faith litigation because of these nuclear verdicts. Mr. Swope testified he filed 12 lawsuits last year. 12. 12 that's it. 12. Wow. 12 litigation. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's really bad for businesses. You know, the business community, which has always surprised me really. And you talk about lobbyists, the business community, the chambers and associated mm -hmm. industries of Florida and all these corporate these big lobbying groups that when you look at who their donors are, it's all insurance companies, mm -hmm. um, really support these reforms. And I said to one of them, you, you forget that yes, you're a business being sued sometimes, but you're also a business that needs protection. And you need right. that protection because you buy insurance that way. If something happens, your insurance company has a fiduciary duty to you to do right by you. Well, when they don't, that's bad faith. Right. Right. And, and what happens as a result of that, and there are stories all over the place of insurance companies not looking out for the person that paid their premiums year after year after year. And those businesses go under because right. an insurance company didn't do right by them. So it's it's no it's one cares until it affects them. Right. I Isn't that say, the age old age old tale? Like no one cares until it affects them. Well, and I always say about lawyers, you hate us until you need us. And uh, then you that's right. You want someone like me. Right. <laughs> you want someone like you. Absolutely. You hate us until you need us. And when you need us, you want the best. I say it all the time. People call me a loudmouth, but when you're in trouble, guess who you call? The loudmouth. Right. Right. What has scared me about this tort reform bill is that it's also coming in line with um, this concealed weapon carry without a license bill. Um, it, it's HB 543, I think and SB 150. And it's going to pass, Hillary. Oh, yeah. It's going to pass. I am very concerned about it. I've I've said all, all along, I am a responsible gun owner. I think everybody should go to training. Everyone should apply for a license. Everyone should have a background check. Everyone should know safety procedures. Um, we have those to drive a car, right? We have, we, we have those mechanisms in place for these things. 
But that's a and privilege. That's, right. This well, is a right we're talking about. Versus this is a difference. Right. Except if you read the second amendment, but we could get into that conversation all day long. I mean the well-regulated part? The well-regulated militia? Those words, I just am curious if those yes. are the words you're highlighting. Yeah, yeah that yeah. well-regulated. Yeah, but it's going to pass, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're of that opinion as well. If it, oh, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I said it on the floor on Friday, like we're about to pass. Leg- and, and I always try to not like include me because I'm not passing it. That's, right, like, right, when, right. When newspapers write in the legislature pass, I'm like, please take my name out of that because <laughs> I didn't pass it. Get out of here with that newspaper. Right. You need to start putting the Republicans, Republicans passed. And the Democrats didn't. Right. It makes me really angry. Sorry, I digress. Yeah, no, no, um, no. But, like, but one of the points is, this bill is going to pass and then we're having this tort reform. So, you know, it, it's passing at a time where we're now just going to let it be the wild, wild west. We're not going to be able to hold people accountable. And what's going to happen? I mean, it, 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 I, I will tell you, we, the Kyle Rittenhouses of the world, welcome to Florida. Right. He is, he is the image that I conjure in my brain of what is going to happen. Welcome. We are inviting the Kyle Rittenhouses of to come to Florida. You want to come to our state? You want to carry a gun? You want no training? You want to be here? You want to be some crusader? Whatever it is. And then, you know, the Trayvon Martins, right? Who's holding, who, who, you're, not, you're now not going to be able, be able to hold him accountable in civil court. Right. You didn't get justice in the criminal court. You're right. not getting in civil court. It's, and, and guess what? I didn't need, you know what? I didn't have training. I didn't know how to fire my gun is the defense. Is the defense. I didn't, need, I, right. didn't need, I didn't have training. I don't need training. It, it, it's insanity. Insanity at best. Insanity at best. Um, but y'all voted for him. If you're listening to this and you voted for this. Because he, he was clear about it. He was clear about it. Because they say freedom. It's not freedom. Like this is becoming, I, I, I uh, recorded a podcast that should launch today or tomorrow, but I, you know, I, I talk about which, what freedom, which freedom and for whom, because Florida is quickly becoming, not slowly, quickly becoming a fascist state. And it's like a breeding ground for what's to come, right? Because we, well, you and I can talk about that later, but we know DeSantis is running for, for president and what, what, he's just going to use Florida as the example. What's also going to pass this uh, week, I assume, is the abortion bill, the abortion ban, the six-week abortion ban, which I know you and I have very, very strong feelings about it. But it's a six-week, six-week abortion ban. It's just an abortion ban. It's an abortion ban because who knows they're pregnant at six weeks. Don't feed, and that's the other thing, don't feed in to their language. One of the things that we as Democrats really work hard to do is to not not utilize their language because their language is harmful and their language is not accurate. Like we're calling this a six week abortion ban. I didn't know I was pregnant at six weeks. Right. Like I don't like it is, this is a full abortion ban. And then if you're able to the amount of loopholes and steps and the amount of money we are giving this legislative session to the fake crisis centers that you go to to that actually try to convince you not to they lie about how far along you are 
They like the, the, what the stories about these crisis centers that we're about to give $25 million a year in recurring funds to. Wait, wait, wait. Talk to me about that. I, I, I don't even know about that. So part of the governor's budget includes $25 million in recurring funds to these abortion crisis centers. Well, these crisis centers usually pop up around a Planned Parenthood or around a, a safe abortion clinic. And what the bill does is we we already had last year passed a 24-hour waiting period and you have to go get counseling. Well, when you're Googling, you know, because now you've taken off work, you've gone, you've got to wait your 24 hours from your first appointment, you've got to go get counseling, like you're Googling, like, where do I go? These crisis centers come up and what they actually are, are Christian-based um, crisis centers that are there to... They threaten you. There are stories of threats where they will tell you, like, if you're young, they're going to call your parents, which again is a HIPAA violation. So right, they, right. They get away with it. Um, they will lie to you, especially the concerns that that the people who are much more eloquent on this topic, like Representative Ana Eskamani, who's just who such a leader on this I topic. Love. Yeah. Um, but you know, they will lie to you about how far along you are to make you think you can't get an abortion. They, I mean, the things that, and they, and we are putting in $25 million. Not we, again, I've got to take myself out of that. But, but, but they, Florida has $25 million while we have a housing crisis, we have a water crisis, we have a homeless crisis. This we is what we're spending. Crisis. Yeah, we're, an insurance we are, crisis. We're spending $25 million on a faith-based mm-hmm. because there is no separation of, of, of church and Not state anymore. State. Right. Faith-based organization. That's what you're that, telling me. That will take put out all the, so the people that stand outside, when you go to an abortion clinic, those are the people <sighs> running the crisis centers. And I, I want to put in quotes because these are not crisis centers. Right. And because we're putting in all these, you know, obstacles for women to get healthcare, right? Let's, this is what this is. It's healthcare. Yeah, this is healthcare, and the stories that we are hearing from these women who are in, you know, you know, and I'm preaching to the choir, right? right. You know, um, you know, these situations for these wanted babies and these wanted pregnancies right. are being forced to to basically be on their deathbeds before they can get treatment. You know. We have, we have allowed this conversation of abortion to center around, well, these are just people who, who don't take birth control and are, you know, promiscuous and they should have thought- The less than 1%. The right. less than 1%. That's not what abortion is. Abortion is, is, is those Healthcare. women who, who got devastating news or, you know, wanted this and find that the most merciful thing they believe they can do is to make this decision um, or they, they lose a baby and the procedure to remove, um, you know, a dead fetus is an abortion. An abortion. And right. they, and, and that's medical terminology. Like I, that, that is how it's defined right. with the beating heart or not. And you have to, have that procedure. And now you're waiting to die. Doctors are are waiting until you are on your deathbed. And there's a story of a young couple here and they were up at the rally, the abortion rally where vice president Harris was here in Tallahassee and they shared their story and long story short, miscarried doctors could not do anything until she was in septic, you know, experienced septic shock. 
And the doctors came out and said to her husband, if we don't perform a full hysterectomy, your wife will die. So your one young wife, you have, you have been, not only are you losing the, you've lost the baby. You now may not have children. And now she cannot have children because the doctors had to wait till she was on her deathbed. Um, you know, I don't even get into the rape and incest question conversation because I think it's reprehensible that we're even debating it. And I refuse to, because to meet someone who has been raped or then raped by a family member, and they should have every option available for them. And 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 this new bill, this new bill, I mentioned it in my last podcast, this new bill requires them to have a police report or some documentation. As the person who as the victim. raped them ha- is standing over them. Correct. As the family member who is committing horrendous acts is standing over their shoulder. Right. Yep. I, 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 I do not understand the people who are okay with this. I, I really don't. I really don't. The other bill that has me just in a rage all day long is HB 999, which is the exclusion of diversity inclusion efforts um, and how that's going to affect our institutions. And so in my last, go ahead. No, I was gonna say DeSantis, there was an article that just came out where he flat out was like, this will absolutely impact um, um, historical black colleges. Absolutely. Absolutely. But like, we're no, not he just was talking. like, yep, that's my plan. Yeah, that's my plan. That's his plan. But it's also going to impact just the predominantly white institutions as well. Because oh, we're absolutely. not just talking about black studies. We're not no. talking about Hispanic studies. We're talking about gender studies. We're talking about social work programs. Religious. We're talking about religious. We're talking about Jewish, Jewish studies. Yep. I mean, everything's going to be affected by this. You know, in my last podcast, I talked about it affecting even groups. So I belong to a historically black sorority. And you know, funding for those programs and, and organizations are going to go. Mm-hmm. And, and he came out and said, yeah, huh? I, I didn't read that article today, but yeah. that's his plan. That's his no, plan. And what's so crazy is, you know, I do believe I'm, I'm here for a reason in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I do believe history is going to look back unfavorably on this time. I do believe I am on the right side of history. Um, but we've always talked about democracy dying in the darkness and it is dying out in the light of light. day, right. in the light of day. And, you know, I have to, I have hope because it's how I live. You know me, I'm like yeah. such an eternal optimist. Like it's just who I am. I really do believe this greed and this power because this is all this is. Um, the pendulum has to swing because I think even I have to hope, I have to hope. Otherwise I can't do this job. How right? do we get the pendulum to swing? How can we as regular citizens of Florida get the pendulum to swing? You know, I always say that I think the biggest difference between Republicans and Democrats is, is and this is just like a very basic, and, and please understand anybody that's watching, I come from, I come from a very conservative family. I come from a... You know, it's I. I was raised a Republican Catholic. I'm now a Jewish Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> and my family's like, "What happened to you?" And talking I talking about swinging the pendulum. <laughs> I say a lot of therapy. I saw the, a lot of therapy, a lot of really good therapy. Uh, um, but you know, I, I, I just somewhat see. You know, you look at this gun bill, right? 
this is a me, me, me bill. This is, I don't want me to have a license. I don't want me to have training. And I'm like, but what about we? <laughs> right. You know, what about we? And I think if people looked at everything that's happening in the totality, right? Like you might have one thing and I'm not saying you, cause I know yeah, you yeah. don't. But like you out there in this, in this podcast world might have one thing that you're like, DeSantis, I love this. I love this about you, but everything else right. doesn't justify everything else that's happening. You know, when you look at what's going to happen to our education system here in Florida, from higher education, all the way down, higher education is supposed to be where you're supposed to engage in diverse thought, right? You have left your parents' home. You are there to figure things out. You are there to meet new people and experience different cultures that maybe you didn't get in, in your, you know, home. And we're destroying that, you know, also what people don't realize about higher education is higher education is where really smart people go to do research, right? right. How medicine research, societal research, you know, technology research, higher education is where really smart people who, you know, want to improve the world go. And Florida has been a leader in that, a leader in higher mm -hmm. education. We are number one in the state of Florida in higher education for, for research, for, for, and we will not be, you will not right. get the best and brightest coming out of universities. You will not get the researching projects that encourages and excites professors and academics to come. You know, those are the things that in, in, in encourage people to come to higher education. And Florida has been a leader and we will not be. I mean, we are already seeing professors leave the state of Florida. Right. I was just going to say they're leaving. Because it is where you are supposed to go for diversity of thought. And right. diversity of thought comes when you have diversity of perspective. And when you shut down diversity of perspective and diversity of conversation and diversity of experience, you can't have innovation. You can't have creation. You can't have that freedom of thought to... Um, grow and people are going to go where freedom of thought can grow. Right. And it won't be, Florida. and it won't be Florida. It won't be Florida. I mean, I have, I have friends whose kids are getting ready to go to colleges and they're now discouraging their children from even applying, I, just applying to, Florida I had University. a conversation with my husband that said, we should really reconsider where we're putting our, our, our school dollars, as far as what Shep's potential, right or out of state education is going to be because if you, he will not be staying in Florida. Well, we Absolutely. know Shep, Shep is going to Harvard or Princeton. Get, he's my, he's my, he's my boy. So <laughs> I'm very biased. And Liam's mine. So exactly. Liam's exactly. my, Liam's my bud. Right. I know. I can't wait for him to come up here and visit me. He's I so know. Proud of me. I was he's hoping that and, and just everything that's happened, um, we couldn't, but I do want to bring him up to see you in session because he, you know, aside from Shepard, he was your number one supporter. We would drive by, see your billboards. And when they took down the signs after you won, he was upset. They took down the signs. And I was explaining to him, I was like, well, she won. She has to take them down. You know, there's a limit that they can leave it up. He's like, 
well, they should leave it up because she won and everyone should see her name. <laughs> uh, so he's very adamant about My that. My little bestie. He is, but I'm going to get him a little suit and bring him up to, to see you, see what you're doing. Cause he did ask, he's like, okay, well, what happens now? So I do want to want uh, him to see you do that, but and I do think he is more of a fan than my son is because my son <laughs> would drive around and he'd be like, oh, mom, your signs are everywhere. It's so, you know, at seven, I'm already an embarrassment. Um, well, listen, I'm an embarrassment to Liam. I can't even say nice words to him in front of his friends anymore because. I mean, what happened to our baby? I know. I know. I told the audience before we got on that our, our babies have been friends since they were two. So, yeah. Liam basically lived in my house for a year. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and he actually, he. He, we wished uh, Nana Debbie, your mom, uh, happy birthday the other day. He, we did a little video for her and oh. sent it to her. And he, after I stopped filming, he goes, I miss Nana. I said, you miss Nana? Yeah, I miss chicken and waffles because your mom would make them chicken and waffles every Friday. So that's what he well, as they learned Jewish Jew about Shabbat. That's right. Friday, that's right. Little, my son little... did Shabbat every <laughs> Friday. He actually misses it. He misses it. I told um uh, Mike's mom that the last time I saw her, he, he mentioned that he missed doing Shabbat on Fridays. So you have to make but it again, happen whenever I'm home again. I know. <laughs> well, and, and that's again, again, our little, our little research group there, right. During COVID of how diversity makes us better. I mean, it, 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 it's true. And it's for, listen, I'm going to have you on again. Cause we're bucking up on the hour time. And I know you have to go. I want you to get some exercise in because mental health got to get that stress off. Um, but I hope to have you back maybe. Oh, I would love that. If something, maybe I can talk about some of the good things I did. Right. Like I yeah. do have one great bill. Yes. You know, we, we didn't talk about that. Can you talk about Grayson's didn't. law really quickly? I will. So, so I think what people don't realize is there's a limit on the amount of bills that I can file as a representative. So the Senate has no requirement, no, no maximum amount, but as a representative, because there's so many of us, mm -hmm. we only get seven bills. So you know, there's strategy and what those bills look like. I'm really sad. I have two really great mental health bills. We'll talk about mental health the next time, but it's a really big part of my platform. Um, right. really work that I want to do in Tallahassee, but because we're fighting abortion and we didn't even talk about all the LGBTQ issues that we're fighting, right. that committee, that healthcare committee is not hearing anything else related to healthcare because the only bills that can get on an agenda and we only, you know, they only meet once a week. And if your bill hasn't moved by week four, it's not going to make it like that's the, right. that's the projected life. So I've got two really great mental health bills that would help us with our lack of workforce situation, incentivize a new generation of, of, of students to go into the mental health space, especially in our, our areas, um, you know, where we have such high shortages, our rural areas, our community-based programs right. probably won't see the light of day. I also have another mental health bill that, that does some research on the gap of, of insurance. So we know kids from the age of 18 to 26 are 30%. That's the age where 30% of people, you know, get their mental health diagnosis. I was 30 when I got mine. So this age is really important that people have access to healthcare and the mental health commission that was put together after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, um, just came out with their first report and I was able to get a bill in that that deals with one of their recommendations that looks at a study that that, that has a study conducted to determine do we have a gap in access to care in this in this space and do we need to expand Medicaid? It's another mm -hmm. topic of conversation oh. for another day. 
but this study needs to be done. It's the recommendation of this commission. And I think it's really important that we listen to the commission that's telling us where are our, where are our gaps? And this right. is a big one. It's never going to likely see the light of day, but my bill that is moving forward and fingers crossed it makes the agenda Friday. Cause I'm sure I didn't make the sponsor of the <laughs> tort reform bill very happy. And he's the chair of my next committee stop. And so we talk um, about punitive measures, right? So hopefully it's on the agenda on Friday. He is a really nice um, man. Um, I'm hoping that my bill still makes it on Friday's agenda. But long story short, so some of you may recall there was a story out of plantation of a little boy by the name of Grayson, four years old, was killed in a parent murder-suicide and sadly, this was a mom who really did everything right, you know, went to the courthouse, applied for the injunctions, asked the court to step in and go do a welfare check or a pickup order on Grayson because she was receiving really threatening text messages that continued to escalate. She also discovered that there was a tracker on her vehicle. Um, Put there by her ex. By her ex, by the right. by Grayson's father. Right. And the threats were escalating in nature. They were intimidating, but they never threatened Grayson. But Allie was clearly in imminent danger. I mean, the texts are very graphic. And, and one of them was like, he wanted her head severed from her body. Well, clearly you're not in the right mental right. state to have a four-year-old in your care. So unfortunately, though, the judge, when looking at the law, basically said, uh, you know, yes, I'm going to grant you your stalking injunction, which arrived two days in the mail after she discovered Grayson was dead. Good job, courts. Emergency. Okay. Um, so the court agreed that she was in imminent danger, but the court basically said, listen, because the threats are being made against you and not Grayson, parental rights, and we're going to keep Grayson in the home. And we now know that as a result, because of the tracker, he knew she had gone to the courthouse. and. Right. Um, he took his life and, and killed Grayson. And what we saw is that we just have courts, you know, sadly, we're not in a place where courts really use their common sense anymore. They're so afraid of making the wrong decision that right. if it's not in the four letters of the law, you know, the four corners of that law, they're not going to really they're apply They're not going outside of it, sense. right. So Grayson's law closes those those loopholes and and for the first time allows the courts to consider things other than actual acts of abuse. So right now what the court looks at is domestic violence abuse, physical mm -hmm. abuse, sexual violent abuse and they don't look at that I think new sort of form of abuse that's that's always been around. Always been there, it, yeah. But it's not physical. But it's that escalation, that intimidation, that coercion, using the child as a pawn, all of those threats of intimidation, those escalating acts, now the court can take those into consideration. So Grayson's law is 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 really, if it's the only law that I pass this year, is a huge will be huge for all people of domestic violence, men Perfect. and women. We know that this happens on both sides. This is not a conversation about men versus women. This right. is a, this is this is about making sure what is in the best interest of the child. And if you're making threats like that against a parent, the other parent, maybe yeah. you aren't in a place at that time to 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 be and and be responsible for your child. And the court should absolutely be taking that into consideration. So obviously, it's the product of 
a really sad, unfortunate situation, but it is truly an honor of a lifetime. It's made its way through two committees unanimously. Oh, great. It's made its way completely through the Senate um, unanimously. I have one more stop in the House. Hopefully it's Friday, fingers crossed for me. That is what I was told before last Friday. Um, I mean, but that's something we shouldn't even be disagreeing on. It should be on the agenda. I mean, that these are the easy things that should pass. These are the right? easy things. And we worked really closely with a family law section of the Florida Bar. And we talk about lobbyists and the resources. And they were instrumental in really getting this bill to a great place where, you know, all sides of advocates, whether you represent, you know, the, the, you know, person who makes the allegations or the person who the allegations are made against, everybody feels really comfortable mm -hmm. with this law and that it's really going to save lives. Um, right. So it's, it's an honor to carry it. You know, I just uh, really hope that it makes, makes it across the finish line. I hope so. And my friend, I tell you all the time, I'm so stinking proud of you. I can't stand it. So when this bill passes on Friday, we're just going to manifest it from now. We're going to have a drink this weekend and celebrate. I'm going to have you on because we have so much to talk about. There's so much out there, um, but I try to keep these under an hour just to hold people's attention. So um, I will have you back if on. If the two of us can't hold your attention for an hour, right? like, come on, we got two smart, articulate Fun. I'm getting my, I'm getting email. my video set up soon. So then we'll do it in person with video. So maybe that will, you know, entice people a little bit, but and even though I don't have my hair and makeup done, feel free to, to, to okay. share By the way, this is the life of a legislator, <laughs> but you've been bringing the fashion on the floor. I've been paying attention. You know, I, you me, know, I know yeah. you have, I was like, Oh, <laughs> that skirt you wore the other day was awesome. I loved it. Thanks. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, people are always commenting. Cause I wear, you know, me, I wear a lot of bright colors. Yes. I don't, I don't really wear black. It's not my yeah. thing. I like bright colors. And I literally, my response to everybody is I got to bring some brightness into this dark, dark building. Cause it Absolutely. is, dark. It is dark in here, but Hopefully I'm a bit of a ray of light for your listeners. Please feel free to follow me, contact me. Um, I, if you want Rhea, all my I'm going to post all of your social media. Um, when which I'm not great it. at. I, I try. You've I'm gotten such better. A, You've gotten better. I'm trying. Cause I get that it's like important, but I'm such a nerd. Like I'm such a policy person. Like I get really lost in all this policy. Cause I, I, I want to know what I'm voting on. And right. I think super important. Um, but your constituents are, are following you on social media. And I also tell every single representative or Senator that I meet, you've got to reach these young people and that's where they're getting their information. Yeah. And, and, and it's unfortunate, but that's where we are. Right. And it's the easiest way to get it out, but I think you're doing a great job. I I'm think trying, you're doing a great friend. job with the social media, but year I, one. I got a, I got a lot to learn. It's year one, but I'm, I'm doing it. You're doing a fabulous job and I'm proud of you. And thank you. you so much for making time um, for me. And we'll do this again. Yes, ma'am. All right. Love ya. Love ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. You can also follow the podcast on our social media pages.